Hello everyone, Sam here. If you're enjoying the show, and at least 12 of you are, we could really use your support. If you'd like to get early access to every episode of IC News as soon as it's finished each and every week, you can earn that sweet, sweet reward by signing up to our Patreon. From as little as a pound a month plus VAT, you can get early access to every episode and each and every weekly blog on the ICU Facebook page where all of this started. All the writing and editing involved with this show is a one-man effort, and your support is about the only way I can justify the amount of time I spend on it to my increasingly bemused loved ones. Moving forwards, I'd love to see it grow, and signing up to our Patreon really is the best way to make that happen. A tiny bit of your pocket change could make all the difference if enough people listening just take the time to sign up. To do so, you can check out the link in the podcast description, or just go to patreon.com slash Stories. Thanks, and please enjoy the show. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Boris Johnson faces a rebellion from backbench MPs who claim his new Covid tiers aren't properly targeted. Hardly surprising, given that the PM has in the past aimed his penis at his spouse and ended up hitting every blonde in the office instead. The government announced that three households will be able to mix indoors for a short period over Christmas, meaning that boomers with three or more adult children will finally get to demonstrate which ones they love the least. Elon Musk overtakes Bill Gates to become the world's second richest person, but Bill Gates will soon pass him again when Musk has to stop and take several hours to recharge. And finally, Argentinian football legend Diego Maradona passes away at 60 and enters heaven after weaving past three defenders and a very angry St. Peter Shilton. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to the smooth, buttery tones of IC News. All you need to do now is wait for the facts to pop up out of our toaster, and we'll spread ourselves all over them so you can munch on down with a nice hot cup of news. Mmm, delicious. Shh, you're safe now. We're going to take a small break from tradition this week, as for once our three stories are going to be firmly grounded here on Earth Prime. We were hoping to get access to the dimensional gate approved by the government, but we're going to have to wait a week or so to get a microwave fitted in the portal room. The broadcast studio is going to be officially entering Tier 3 next week, and travel across the multiverse just isn't safe, unless our correspondents can do it with a cooked potato in hand. All this talk of vaccines is all well and good, but it's the substantial meals that really keep the R rate down, and we'll fight anyone who suggests otherwise. England's second national lockdown finally ends on December 2nd, but you may as well swallow that sigh of relief you've been holding on to and turn it into a rumbling fart of righteous indignation. It's to be immediately replaced by a third national lockdown in pretty much all but name. The Isle of Wight, the Isles of Scilly and Cornwall are about the only places in England awarded Tier 1 status, presumably due to the level of natural immunity awarded by high levels of vitamin D and several generations of passionate inbreeding. For the rest of the South, and with it most of the Tories' constituencies, it's Tier 2. For any hotel that doesn't have a bust of Margaret Thatcher on its reception desk, in fact, anywhere you can't see from the top of the Shard on a clear day, it's Tier 3 and a thorough go-fuck-yourself from Westminster. 
Oh, well, apart from a few short days over Christmas, when, according to the government, the global pandemic has generously decided to temporarily lay down its arms and meet us in the middle of no man's land to kick a football about for a bit. It really warms your cockles, doesn't it? In the office microwave, no less, so that everybody around you can really enjoy the stench. For millions of people and businesses across England, the return to a tier system that did somewhere between fuck all and sweet diddly shit to prevent a second national lockdown in the first place is a worrying prospect, with the potential to destroy lives and local economies up and down the country. Perhaps nobody recognises that better than the people of Manchester, who find themselves subjected yet again to the most stringent restrictions with no clear end in sight. We now go to our local correspondent, Danny Sutcliffe. Danny, I expect you've been less than overjoyed by the announcement that Manchester will be returning to the newly strengthened Tier 3 measures. On the contrary, my mate. I'm remarkably calm about the whole thing, and I put it down to one simple thing. Oh, OK, I'll bite. What thing? Why, it's very simple, Sam, and I politely fucking thank you for asking. I must admit, at first, it was difficult not getting upset about the old sorry state of affairs. I was filled with fear for the future of the hospitality and entertainment industries. I was bemused by the suggestion that we could simply pause this whole crisis and cram thousands upon thousands of people into confined spaces over Christmas without consequence. I was deeply troubled by the apparently clueless decision-making of an increasingly authoritarian government. One that seems to be hell-bent on failing to listen to the protests of their own scientific advisers. I was distinctly pissed off that big chunks of Manchester are still going back into Tier 3, despite now having lower rates of infection than some Tier 2 boroughs in fucking London. It was getting me down, pal. But then I came up with a coping method. Not just for the sake of my own mental health, but also for the sake of me knackered wallet as well. Alright, I'm starting to get a vague sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach about where all of this is going, but I suspect at this point I'm not going to be able to stop you even if I try. That's right! It's new, it's patented, it's absolutely fucking flawless. We're talking Danny's dedicated, don't give a fuck, personal wellness programme. Oh, for Christ's sake. Are you absolutely knackered, trying to keep up with the ever-changing restrictions in your area? Do you feel like screaming into a toilet and banging the seat against the back of your neck at any given moment? Do you feel the boot on your throat pressing ever downwards? Are you struggling to obtain ketamine in the pre-pandemic quantities you used to be able to enjoy? Well, don't delay and sign up today! Danny's dedicated don't-give-a-fuck personal wellness programme, or do-do-do-do-do, for short, is a brand new lifestyle system for you and all your family. Follow it to the letter and pay your subscription fees promptly and weekly, and you'll soon feel all your pandemic worries melt away. Stressed about the future of your business? Don't be! Worried about the mental well-being of your loved ones? Don't be! Paralysed with existential dread over your underlying health conditions, having been forced back onto your zero-hours contract by the lack of financial support available? Don't be! There's a way out and dirty is here for you! For the low, low price of £18 a week, one of our licensed representatives will hand-deliver to you our patented self-realisation formula each and every Monday. Simply use the pipette to soak the wine gums provided and take one with food every four hours. 
Danny, this really isn't appropriate. You'll soon be tripping absolute balls. And then one way or another, the pandemic will be the least of your worries. That is a cast iron Sutcliffe guarantee. No refunds. You could find yourself staring through the abyss of time and space and find the inner peace that comes with realising that all life is simply energy vibrating through matter. You could find yourself sitting on an obsidian floor as an inverted pyramid rotates and hums in the boiling sky above you. You could be left running down the high street, screaming, clawing at your own skin in the belief that your flesh is full of insects made of burning light. Whatever happens, you absolutely won't give a fuck about the pandemic anymore. That is a copper-bottomed promise. Sign up today and you'll get 10% off your first order. Turning today's problems into tomorrow's come down. Bottom of promises in fact, papier mache. Patented self-realization formula is never patented nor a formula, and is in fact industrial strength LSD mixed with Silic Bang. Danny's dedicated Don't Give a Fuck personal wellness programme is a subsidiary of Sutcliffe Jet Washington International. £18 per week is payable in £50 notes only and no change will be given. Customers must provide own wine gums and pay all petrol costs. We are not a fucking charity. Are you quite finished? I'm also flogging a toaster, just in case anyone's interested. It doesn't work, but as an ornamental piece, it's very striking. 40 quid, or nearest offer. Sam? Yes, Danny? I'm getting a bit sick of all this pandemic stuff now, pal. I know, Danny. I think we all are. And I don't know what it is, but something, something in this pyramid in the sky. I can feel it. It hums through me bones. There's a bell ringing somewhere deep in the earth. I can't hear it, but I can feel it. Something's edging ever closer. The viper's eyes opening, Sam. Maybe just go and have a lie down, Danny. Drink some orange juice and eat some dark chocolate. I haven't got any dark chocolate. Oh, I have got some wine gums left, though. Hey, why are they all soggy? Danny, I really don't think that's a good idea. It'll be fine, pal. Thanks for the pep talk. It was all I needed. Oh, that's the stuff. Bang, and the dirt is gone. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, reporting for IC News. Pyramid's still there, though. Fuck it. I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. The return to the tier system wasn't the only significant announcement from the government this week. We also heard from the Chancellor as he set out his spending plans for the next 12 months. Rishi Sunak painted a grim picture of the UK's economic prospects, as it was revealed that the Conservatives' world-beating recovery plan had in fact resulted in the deepest recession of any G7 country and the highest excess death rate in Europe. But hey, everyone's just trying their best, aren't they? And at least at the end of all this, Britain can use its pandemic participation trophy to decorate the enormous cemetery at the heart of our new Lorry Park come economic wilderness formerly known as Kent. The Chancellor insisted that the partial public sector pay freeze he announced moving forwards wasn't a return to the austerity of the last ten years, while every teacher, policeman and hospital porter watching had to shield their eyes from the light reflecting off his brass neck. With her thoughts on Rishi Sunak's latest spending review, we now go to one of his biggest fans, everyday average woman with a heart of gold, Jade Fernley.
everybody, I'm Jade Fernley, proud Yorkshire lass, hard-working mother of three, flyer of the Union Jack outside their home Zumba studio, and passionate shouter-outer at the latest series of The Crown. Whatever love means... You animal, Charlie. She were people's princess. How could you do us so wrong? You monster! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm still a bit choked up about it. <clears throat> but I'm not here today to talk about that. I'm here today to talk about Dishy Rishi's annual spending review. Now, before I do, though, I've got something I'd like to admit first. That man... Doesn't earth get me hot under the collar of my brown shirt. <gasps> Did you see that photo of him wearing a hoodie over a shirt and tie? Like a normal, regular human being. Ooh, he can control the strings of my spam purse anytime he bloody well likes. And I'll tell you that for note. But it's not just the raw machismo and sex appeal that gets me excited when talking about Richie Sonic. <laughs> That's just an added bonus. What really gets my gusset flooding is the fact that we've finally got a Conservative Chancellor who understands the voters. A man who gets the strength of feeling out on the streets. A man who understands that charity begins at home. Sorry to bother you, love, but could you spare any change, please? Oh, sorry, sweetheart. I've got none on me. No problem. Thanks for replying to me, at least. This is all a bit new to me, you see. Since I lost my job and my home, you'd be amazed just how few people even see you as human anymore. Could you shut the fuck up, please, love? I'm a bit busy here. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. The spending review. And Rishi Sonic's torn shoulders and proud leonine face. And a jawline that could cut marble. And the soft hands... Of a gentleman. <clears throat> now there's going to be an awful lot of squabbling over the next few days about some of these announcements in this spending review. But what a lot of Marxist and champagne socialists are never going to realise is that at some point, all this borrowing is going to have to be paid off. Somebody's got to foot the bill for all those unusable plastic aprons and the very preventable month-long national lockdown and the knackered test and trace system. There isn't a magic money tree the government can just shake at will to pay for everything, you know. Well, not unless you've got a minister's phone number. And you reckon your pest control firm can source gloves for the NHS better than any competitive tender process could? A pay freeze for thousands of public sector workers isn't a return to austerity, you know. It's just a matter of managing a household budget with less to spend as prices rise. That's not a cut, not when you phrase it properly. And besides, it's not like all these people are surgeons and paramedics, is it? On furlough, I had loads of time to sit on my sofa and trawl angrily through mum's net. I've been reading about the hours that teachers work and all that paid holiday they get. Honestly, it's enough to boil your piss. But what I really want to talk about is the announcement that the UK will be cutting its foreign aid budget. And it's about bloody time we started putting ourselves first. Obviously it's important to help those less fortunate than ourselves, particularly when you promised to in the manifesto you won an election with just one year ago. But this is an extraordinary time. What about our own children? Our own suffering? 
Our own proud, loyal veterans. Why can't we support them for once? Instead of building schools and providing clean drinking water in third world countries. I'm a veteran. You fucking what? I said I'm a veteran. And foreign aid isn't a zero-sum game, you know. The failure of the welfare safety net here at home isn't intrinsically tied to the level of investment in our humanitarian commitments overseas. The crisis facing British veterans is a direct consequence of the convergence of a series of domestic policy decisions, from a failure to invest in mental health provision and affordable housing, right through to the ideological dismantling of social care programmes and a decade of austerity measures. But that's the point I'm making, you soft twat. Cut foreign aid and we can invest in all those things instead of spending it all on refugees. Oh yeah, and what effect do you think failing to invest in humanitarian efforts and local infrastructure in impoverished countries is going to have on the migrant crisis exactly? Further destabilising some of the most vulnerable economies in the world in the middle of a global pandemic that's disproportionately impacted so many of them further trashes our international reputation in return for a proportionally insignificant short-term saving. This court could result in tens of thousands of deaths, and its potential knock-on effects range from political unrest through to protracted physical conflict and the displacement of local populations. That could result in countless thousands more refugees all over the globe. This decision isn't grounded in fiscal or moral responsibility. It just panders to the short-sighted prejudices of a right-wing voter base, who are willfully ignorant of the long-term geopolitical benefits of the UK's international humanitarian aid programmes. Oh, fuck off, you snowflake cook. I'm just expected to believe you're a veteran, am I? What war did you fight in, then? <laughs> the Great Twitter Council of 2019. <laughs> Iraq, actually. Two tours. Got the leg to prove it. You, uh, you sure you got no change? I told you I've, um, I've, I've none on me. <clears throat> well, I guess I'll just have to wait for charity to begin at home, then. Oh, honestly. This bloody country. <laughs> Everyone's an armchair economist these days. I'm Jade Fernley, reporting for IC News. It's not just been an eventful week here in Britain. Over in America, President-elect and political Highlander Joe Biden announced his first cabinet picks, and in a break from recent tradition, they generally appear to be experienced political operatives who can count all the way up to five. The selection of a new administration that understands you need to chew your food before it's safe to swallow it angered the current incumbent. Biden's push forward with his transition plans came despite ongoing and rumbling protests from Donald Trump, who continues to insist that he's somehow been cheated out of another four years in office. Here's Tom King with the latest. I don't know what is going to happen. I know one thing, Joe Biden did not get 80 million votes. It's going to be a very hard thing to concede because we know there was massive fraud. There are just over 50 days to go until Donald Trump leaves office. Funnily enough, that's pretty much the exact same length of the Waco siege, and it's a worryingly accurate historical parallel. The charismatic sex offender of a cult leader has well and truly dug his heels in, and there's every chance he'll end up burning everything to the ground before he ever accepts defeat. This is going to be the most awkward and disturbing transition process since Jeff Goldblum failed to notice that fly in his teleportation pod. 
More and more states have now certified their election results. They've done so with confidence in light of the absence of any compelling evidence whatsoever of widespread voter fraud. Despite the many and vocal objections from the complainer-in-chief and his wackadoodle legal team, the fact that Biden won, and won decisively at that, is now beyond doubt. However, that hasn't stopped Trump pressing on with his wild conspiracy theories. This is despite his administration finally agreeing to begin the formal transition process to a Biden presidency. The announcement that it had done so came earlier in the week via presidential tweet. And fuck me, I can't wait for that phrase to find itself consigned to the flaming tampon bin of history. The tweet itself was coherent and well-written, without any typos whatsoever. What's more, it carefully stated, without ever resorting to full caps for emphasis, that beginning the formal process definitely wasn't an indication that the president himself was personally admitting defeat. So in other words, there was roughly zero chance that Trump himself wrote it. His 3am rage tweets from the White House shitter generally have the deft diplomatic touch of a horny Mongol horde. Somewhere, somehow... An actual adult in the White House had finally convinced Donald Trump that it was time to stop cosplaying as a two-term president. And all he had to do was leave him with the loophole that he was still perfectly entitled to keep screaming fraud. Unfortunately, that screaming has very real and disturbing consequences. Polling suggests that a worrying number of Trump's base continue to buy into his unhinged conspiracy theories. Millions of Americans now believe that the Democrats somehow rigged the vote in half a dozen states in order to steal this election. The old adage that a lie travels halfway around the world before the truth has chance to get its pants on doesn't even begin to do this bullshit justice. We are well and truly balls deep into the age of disinformation. At this point, a lie can travel halfway across the solar system and finger the Mars rover before the truth's morning alarm clock ever starts even beeping. Now, lawyers acting for Trump are alleging just about every possible conspiracy under the sun. But what's being claimed in their increasingly absurd press conferences doesn't mean a fucking thing. What matters is what's actually being alleged in court, because there are legal consequences for bringing a steaming cart full of horse shit in front of a judge. A Rudy Giuliani press conference is basically a Tinder bio that claims the conspiracy is a six-foot-four Chippendale with a 12-inch penis. The actual conspiracy, the one that's so far turned up for court every day, has been a five-foot-three weirdo with a wet patch on his trousers and breath that smells of Play-Doh. There's so much noise surrounding all of this insanity that at times it can almost feel impossible to filter out the truth. This week, the Trump campaign even had to officially distance itself from Sidney Powell, a woman who Trump had formally insisted was part of his official legal team. She's a former prosecutor, and the terrifying supervillain you get when Saul Goodman falls into the toxic cesspit of QAnon. She's now released the Kraken, as she for some reason put it, with a series of wide-ranging lawsuits that she apparently typed with her forehead. It's hundreds of misspelt pages of allegations that have got Trump's base salivating. 
unfortunately for her, she's made the fundamental mistake of releasing the kraken on land, where it will almost certainly die an embarrassing death in court. The relative thickness of a document says nothing about its actual worth and credibility, and I point to the fact that Dan Brown is a prolific author, Your Honour, and rest my fucking case. Powell is alleging a lot of things, but the central thread of her batshit conspiracy seems to be that Hugo Chavez somehow conspired to steal this election from Donald Trump, and he's been dead for seven years. Now, when even Donald Trump's team of hair-dye-stained experts think your conspiracy theories go too far, the chances are you don't have a particularly compelling legal argument left to make. And this not job bullshit might feel, to the deluded at least, like it's rising to some sort of revelatory crescendo. But the simple and undeniable truth is that Trump's legal challenges to this election are, in fact, petering out in a series of pathetic whimpers. More and more Republicans are urging him to finally accept reality. The only reason that conceding defeat isn't the dominant GOP narrative is that the rest of them are shitting themselves at the thought of Trump's base turning on the party before they can secure their Senate majority. And given just how much petrol Trump is pouring on the social fabric of American society, that tactic is cowardly and deeply dangerous bullshit. January's Georgia runoffs and Biden's inauguration simply cannot come soon enough. And I say that as a man who isn't exactly enthusiastic about a Biden administration. I played Warhammer 40k as a kid, and I know how grim a prospect it is to have a barely conscious corpse attempting to steer the future of humanity through its conflicts with the powers of chaos. But even that has to be a better option than the petulant, humiliating temper tantrum Trump is throwing on his way out of the door. The only question now is how many smouldering timbers are going to be left standing in the White House compound when Trump's branch covidians are done with it. I'm Tom King, and something, something coastal elites Venezuela, your honour, reporting for IC News. And the whole world is laughing at our electoral process. Don't talk to, I'm the president of the United States, don't ever talk to the president that way. Tom's report brings us to the end of our broadcast. Mic drop, motherfuckers, facts out. Oh, and um, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. Matt Hancock describes the UK's tendency to work when sick as peculiar and unusual, which is a bit of an insult, given that he's continued working despite being terminally incompetent. Iran's top nuclear scientist is assassinated in Tehran, and is really going to be hard to figure out who's responsible for it. Pig guts and punches are thrown by lawmakers in Taiwan's parliament, after the country eases rules on US pork imports containing harmful additives. Hopefully the UK can expect a similar sight with its own US trade deal in the future, and we can all look forward to the sight of Yvette Cooper twatting Liam Fox around the head with a chlorinated chicken. And finally, a police officer is sacked after scanning a £10 box of donuts as carrots in the self-checkout. He gave himself away during the interview process by constantly licking his lips. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye. You've just been listening to the IC News podcast. If you enjoyed it, 
Please don't forget to help us spread the word. Only with your support, can we reach more people, and build a larger audience. Every episode of IC News is written and produced by Sam Gore. Every week we feature guest voices from the UK stand-up circuit. Check out the podcast description to find out who you've been listening to. They're all very funny people, and you should check out their stuff. The IC News main theme is written and performed by Eddie French and the graphic design for the show is by Chunchy.com. Any additional music in the show will always be properly credited in the podcast description, so if you hear something you like, please check that out and support the independent artists who offer their work to shows like ours.